0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Climate change affects the atmosphere, oceans, weather patterns, and also the ground underneath us. That's according to new research from Northwestern University that shows how human activity is increasing the temperature of the ground beneath our feet. And over time, this will cause the ground to change shape, potentially weakening the foundation of the city and even leading to Chicago sinking. Wow. Alessandro Roda-Loria, assistant professor of civil and environmental engineering at Northwestern University, published these findings yesterday and he joins us now in studio. Welcome, professor. Thank
1: you very much for having me.
0: So why did you start researching this? Why was this an area of interest?
1: So um, this was an area of interest because it has been widely studied in several fields of science, in environmental science, uh, public health, transportation engineering, uh, because it causes several issues for urban areas. But surprisingly, before uh, we carried out this study, there was like this problem was never addressed from a civil engineering perspective. Okay. And so really the, the rationale for studying the problem is that when materials such as soils, uh, rocks, and concrete are subjected to temperature variations, they deform. And so the question that I asked myself at the time was, um, what is the influence of this underground warming on the deformations of soils, rocks, and, and concrete? And so basically also what is that influence on the performance of civil infrastructure.
0: Mm. Well, you know, reading uh, about uh, your study, I mean, the sources of heat surprised me as common everyday things, right? Train tunnels, parking garages, basements. How does this heat spread underground? Yeah,
1: correct. So basically, most of the things that we have around us in the underground reject heat. Um, the, The idea is that the problem is governed by a temperature difference between what would be the temperature of the ground in a rural area or in a so-called undisturbed condition and the temperature that we find in those underground environments, such as, as you said, parking garages, train tunnels, subway tunnels, building basements, and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, So since um, these underground structures are typically warmer than the the ground, they uh, reject heat. So uh, we know that heat always diffuses from warmer places to colder places. And so this is why the ground is warming up. So mostly this is happening because of these underground structures that are often called localized drivers. But also this phenomenon is happening because of a so-called diffuse driver, which, is, um, um, which consists of surface urban heat islands and also global warming. So since the temperature of the air at the surface of cities is rising, a portion of that heat diffuses also underground.
0: So you're saying the ground is warming up, and I want you to help us connect the dots here. Over the past seven decades, the ground under our feet, uh, close to those heat sources, it's warmed up on average by 27 degrees Fahrenheit. So what does that suggest to you?
1: So those uh, those 27 degrees Fahrenheit are actually uh, maximum values that we have found. Uh, on average, the the ground has warmed uh, less. Um and, and, and this is significant because these temperature variations cause deformations. Uh, so the ground is, is moving um, and um, these ground deformations can affect uh, what we call the operational performance of civil infrastructure. So it should be, um, it's important to stress that underground climate change does not represent a threat for the safety of people. Uh, it does not threaten to lead to the collapse of structures and is buildings. Is it a
0: concern for the stability of buildings? So
1: no. Um, I, I, underground climate change will not lead to catastrophic failures of buildings. Uh, so it, it might affect on a case-by-case basis the function uh, of the structures, their aesthetic requirements, and really the conditions of normal use, day-to-day use. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason is because um, excessive ground deformations can lead uh, to um, unwanted settlement, angular distortions of uh, beams and structural members, um, that also can cause tilting, Uh, and potentially cracking. So it's a a potential problem that that should be assessed on a case-by-case basis. And again, it uh, can affect uh, the day-to-day operation of buildings and their durability in the long term.
0: So uh, the most startling prediction from your research, it was that the city could sink in the next 100 years. That's very alarming on its face. So so how much could it sink?
1: So um, the... um, this actually depends on the layer that we considered. So the the, the, the soil um, underneath Chicago is like, the soil stratigraphy is pretty complex. And so there are some uh, layers that expand upon these rising temperature variations and other that, others that contract. And so the problem should be really considered not across the entire city district, but like it should be analyzed uh, locally. So underneath local foundation systems and so on and so forth. Um, the ground movements that we have Uh, quantified are um, of the order of half an inch, so they can exceed 10 millimeters. Uh, And these are significant because, as I said, these orders of magnitude are known to potentially cause problems in the long term.
0: Is there something that you would like city officials or building developers to take away from your research? like Some action, perhaps, that they should be taking now to try to prevent this?
1: Absolutely. So I think... um, First of all, I w- when I found out these results with my group, I felt compelled to to present them to the scientific community and the public. Um, in 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 my work, we call this uh, a silent hazard, so it's it's something that we should consider. Um, but I also think that it represents a very big opportunity for Chicago and other cities worldwide. What I would like to stress is that Chicago didn't do something wrong about it. Like it, subsurface urban heat islands and underground climate change characterizes all cities worldwide, like most urban areas worldwide. Uh, And the reason why I think it's an opportunity that we have in front of us is because we can take action in two main ways. The first one is to uh, minimize the problem at the source by applying thermal insulation in underground envelopes. So basically minimize the amounts of heat that will be rejected otherwise in the ground. And the second one consists uh, in the the deployment of uh, shallow geothermal technologies underneath or next to buildings through which basically we could absorb part of that heat and use it for space mm-hmm. heating and hot water production. So there are two very concrete and relatively simple things that we can that we could do and we can do. Um, so this is why I think it's an opportunity.
0: Yesterday on the program, we, we talked with Illinois state climatologist Trent Ford about uh, climate change's role in, in severe precipitation. And he said that what needs to happen is, is changing urban planning to respond to a new environment with, with different weather patterns. Let's listen to that. Really, what this requires is a is a kind of a larger uh, overview of urban planning in general and planning for a wetter and perhaps more intense precipitation climate in Chicago and around the state um, than, than what we've had previously. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I fully concur on the assessment. Um, I also think that it's important to stress that nowadays we have the knowledge and tools to do, to take action, and do positive things. Uh, for example, um, computer simulations like the one that we carried out in the context of this study, uh, can be run to um, understand um, the intensity of this underground climate change, again, not only in Chicago and not only specifically in the loop, but across the entire city and yeah. in every other city worldwide. And um, through these knowledge and tools, we can inform decision-making and we can really shape the way we uh, conceptually develop cities, we operate cities and we live in urban environments, um, ultimately fostering sustainability.
0: Yeah. Well, you say you can also use this heat to help power things like electric heat pumps. Tell us briefly how that would work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I think that, uh, as I mentioned before, the most rational approach and the first thing to do to really mitigate this phenomenon would be to apply thermal insulation in underground structures. If that, for any given reason, could not be possible, um, there is this opportunity to deploy geothermal technologies like what we generally call, for example, uh, geothermal boreholes uh, that consist in um, technologies that allow us to harvest the heat that is naturally present in the ground. The Department of Energy is um, used to call geothermal energy as a renewable energy source that is always on um, because it's it's there everywhere on Earth, irrespective of the weather. Um, and, and so really the idea of geothermal technology is that we can absorb this heat and delivery to buildings uh, in general to serve uh, space heating and cooling and hot water production. Um, now, in, in cities, not only we have this geothermal heat, but we also have this waste heat that comes from these underground structures. Mm. So we have this extra amount of energy that is available and can be used for the uh, the purposes that I mentioned before. And, and this is very relevant because depending on the country, if we consider, for example, residential buildings from. 40 to 70% of the energy that we consume, we consume it for space heating and cooling and hot water production. And so geothermal technologies can really meet a significant portion of energy needs.
0: And we should know, you know, you're the chief technology officer for a Swiss startup uh, that makes panels to absorb this heat. Could your company stand to benefit from this research?
1: So, um, let's say we are uh, developing one of the possible solutions. Uh, The idea is that so depending on the country, shallow geothermal technology are really more or less established. Uh, there are countries in Europe, like Switzerland, Austria, um, and, but also the UK, where geothermal technology is like a no-brainer, they're widely applied. Yeah. Um, and, and typically the technologies that are applied are, uh, what I mentioned before, uh, borehole heat exchangers. So the idea is that we drill a hole in the ground, we put plastic pipes where water will circulate, and through that water we absorb the heat and we bring it to the building. Now that's very effective in many many conditions but the limitation is that um, in urban areas where space underground is typically lacking we cannot oftentimes drill and so the idea that we had the Dynadrape was to basically develop what we call the first uh solar thermal panel of the underground the, the idea is to have like another geothermal technology that we can put in contact with uh, the walls or ceilings of building basements and parking garages and absorb energy in that way i
0: see your research is actually the best case scenario, right? Because your, your estimates don't include the, the projected increases in air temperature over time. Why did you take that approach, Professor? And, and I'm curious if you have a sense of what the worst case scenario would be.
1: Correct. So uh, I, I confirmed that that's the case. Uh, the reason why I did not consider global warming uh, for the next 30 years of the prediction that I run um, was that Uh, As soon as you talk about global warming, as you know, there are global warming scenarios. And so that can be kind of tricky to assess and there is uncertainty. So uh, what I did was basically to assume that for the next 30 years, we are going to experience the same average temperature that we have experienced over the past 70 years, Mm -hmm. which as you said, um, is not uh, like provides results that are not a worst case scenario. And the reason why I did that is that even without considering this worst case scenario, we uh, obtain values of ground deformations and displacements that are significant so th- the the potential problem is already there and we know that by accounting for global warming it would be even worse so it's likely that things are going to be even worse and with respect to your question of how much worse um it's difficult to 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 to, to quantify that um, now uh, because it's we should quantify it in a more rigorous way um take this with a grain of salt mm-hmm. but I would say maybe that the ground deformations and displacement could be ten to twenty percent higher, but that's very qualitative so um, okay, take this really with a grain of salt with
0: a grain of salt. Uh, but you know just generally in in response to you know heat seeping into the ground any action steps that individuals can take, what can we do?
1: Um, so if the individuals are being building owners or managers, I guess they can strive for more efficient buildings and buildings that reject less heat in the ground. Uh, but I would say the general public cannot do really a lot in the sense that like, a, a fraction of this heat, for example, derives from the fact that in cities such as uh, New York and London, people travel underground to get the tube or, or MTA, and even in Chicago, we right. get the CTA. True. It's not as dense as in those cities, but still. And we as, as humans, we reject heat. like we so um, this phenomenon, again, is not characteristic only of Chicago, first of all. And second of all, it's the result of anthropogenic activity. Like we, we move in cities, we, we drive our cars in underground tunnels and so on and so forth. So the public, in my humble opinion, cannot do really a lot, but decision makers can do and, and building owners and managers can do. Um, and there are very concrete opportunities and things that can be done.
0: Alessandra Roda-Loria is Assistant Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Northwestern University. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.